0: God is good all the time. All the time. Welcome to those of you that join us online. Welcome to our CM and our Milstat campuses. Last week, we examined Philippians 1.10 in some detail. In fact, it might have been all we did. I realize I don't travel fast on these soul treks, but I kind of figure y'all know what you're in for by now. So let's review verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I think there's some fundamental questions we have to ask as we enter the Christian life. Number one, is there a God? If so, does that God honestly love me and care about me, or is that God indifferent? The third question we have to ask, is that God give us a template, an idea of what God wants from us, an idea of how to live our best lives? Fourthly, is the Bible the conveyance of that idea? And fifthly, if it is, we must choose whether or not to live in obedience to its clear and consistent teachings. It's pretty simple but at any point you hit a no, it kind of takes everything offline. So let's take a look at what it's really getting at here. When we allow the light of Christ to reveal the darkness in us, repent of our sin and allow God to do his work in us we grow in holiness. Holiness simply means we become less and less like us and more and more like Jesus. Knowing what constitutes sin, which is what the Bible clearly gives us, being convicted of sin, repenting of sin, and receiving God's power to overcome sin is the process by which saints are made. It's always painful, and it's often jagged. This purification process is not intended to make us feel better. Some people come to church and they say, well, I go to church to make me feel better. If feeling good is what you're really in for, I would not suggest Christianity because Christianity is not therapeutic in its nature. It's transforming in its nature. Christianity doesn't want to help you be 33 and a third percent better. Christianity says, be born again. Growing in Christ and in holiness is, is painful at times. It's jagged at times. But this purification process isn't made to make us look more Christian. It's made us, it's intended to make us look more like Jesus. The relationship between pouring out and filling up, I think, is really crucial as we understand the progression of how saints are forged. You can't fill something that is already full. You can pour something onto a full something, but it will just flow off the top. If you truly want to pour in something, you have to create space. The Bible teaches that we are all born full of sin. We are full to the brink of sin. There's no room for anything but sin. Through repentance, we pour out the sin, and then we ask God to fill the empty space with the presence of Christ. It's a trade of, source, of sorts. We, we trade our yucky stuff for God's good stuff. There's no downside to it, but it is a trade. And sometimes we want to hang on to our yucky stuff, even though we know it's harming us. And it might be harming others, sometimes because we enjoy sin. Sin can be enticing. I always call sin the candy-coated Drano ball. It tastes great until your lips start swelling and you start foaming at the mouth and you're flopping around on the ground, then it's not as great. When we think about the trade, there has to be a willingness to submit to Christ. There has to be times when we say, you know, what I think and maybe what the Bible thinks are different. And I'm going to have to decide who's right here. And it's tougher than you think. But it's not tough for me these days. Because I know that when I decide, things can go a lot of different directions. But I have learned that the word of God is trustworthy. And I am literally betting my eternity on God's word. And that's the invitation that I will always offer to you. God accepts us exactly as we are, but God loves us too much to leave us that way. And as we read the Bible, as we get in the Word, there will be a series of crises moments, and we'll go, eh. And when we do, we have to choose. Are we going to repent and be a little more like Jesus, or are we just going to bull up And just walk out and hang on to our own ways. I've said this many times, but I'll say it again. We can accept the gospel or we can reject the gospel, but we don't get to modify it. You take it as it is or you reject it. Sometimes I ask people, when I see them participating in certain actions, to help me see their end game. I see what they're doing, but I'm not really sure what they're trying to accomplish. So I'll sometimes ask people, can you help me with this? Often just pondering my question results in an epiphany for people. And they ask themselves, are my actions taking me toward desired outcomes in my life or away from them? You know, my classic question has to do with couples Married couples who are having real problems. And what I see a lot of times happen in these kind of situations is that the couples kind of go off in their separate corners and they kind of badmouth their spouse to their family and friends and whatnot. And I'll always say to these couples, What's your end game? Just what's your end game? And guess what they say to me with great regularity? Reconciliation. And I will say, then don't engage in a course of action that's gonna make that very, very difficult. Because once you get squared up with your spouse, you have created an atmosphere of animosity toward those who love you toward that spouse. And it's gonna be a real mess because you're gonna be okay and you're gonna wonder why everybody else is in a bad mood and you're the one that did it. What's the end game? I just want to suggest that we need to play for the end game. And I think the end game is a fair question to ask of God. God, you're exposing the sin in my life. You're convicting me as I encounter the Bible. You're asking me to repent. What's your end game? What are you trying to accomplish in me? And how does that play out in in real time? Verse 11, can you believe that? Two verses in one night. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a prize to be earned. We are saved by faith, not by works that we have done. We are not saved because we are caring, loving, and good. But I want to suggest that being saved should make us more caring, loving, and good. We are not saved because we are ethical, moral, and principled. But I want to suggest being saved should make us more ethical, moral, and principled. The evidence or fruit of our salvation are lives that are increasingly filled with what Paul calls righteous character. Righteous character does not make us right with God. But if we're right with God, our lives will start producing more righteous character. It's the evidence of a life that's right with God. So what is righteous character? It is a life in full alignment with the word of God. It's when my life aligns with God's word. It is a shift away from the person I am and a move toward the person I was created to be. It's, it's much, much, much more than proper and appropriate actions. It's the forging of altruistic and biblically shaped motives. One thing I've noticed with people is if people behave poorly, it's usually an extension of what's going on inside of them. So our behavior... It doesn't say who we are, but it's a testimony to who we are. So when people behave poorly and you say, behave better, which is what most churches do, it's what religion does, right? Behave better, try harder, be better. And then they try harder to be better, and, and they may outwardly appear to do that, but it'll only last for a little while. Why? Because the inward person has not been transformed. They're still who they were. They're just trying hard for a period of time to make things appear better. But when they're not paying much attention, who we are always comes out. Who we are always, always comes out. So righteous character develops when who we have become in Christ begins to inform everything we do we might call a person with righteous character rock solid and granite strong you probably know some of these people and they are gifts to the body of Christ one of the great wins for team Satan has been the rash of moral and ethical failures of highly visible Christian leaders over the past 50 years though some of it has always been around in Elmer Gantry fashion, modern celebrity Christian culture, fueled by money to be made, the media and the social media have really turned what's always been a slippery slope into a cliff for leaders that don't have strong foundations. Though I want to be clear, though most falls are far more the exception than the rule, these days each tragic fail is amplified a hundredfold, and it reinforces a cultural narrative. On the other hand, Christian leaders who have forged lives of righteous character do much to quell and dispel the lies of the devil I'm just going to suggest to you, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa made up for a whole lot of charlatans. And I am going to also say there's a lot more people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa than there are like the charlatans. But if you were Satan, wouldn't you want the narrative to be that all Christianity is corrupt? And that Christian leaders are all hypocrites and everybody in the church is terrible. And anytime somebody slips and falls, you want to act like that's the most normal thing in the world. I get it. I get the play. I get the play. But I've got to be very, very frank and very, very honest with you. The vast majority of Christian leaders I know The vast majority of Christian people I know are are people who live lives of integrity. Are they perfect? I don't know any perfect people. I know about six that think they're perfect, but I don't know any perfect people. But I do know people who have integrity. And I do know people who are trying to walk through life honorably. And I do know people who are keeping their promises and keeping their vows and are not falling to the temptations of this present age and of this present darkness. You might say, well, you know, you say this present darkness, do you think things are worse than they've ever been? I don't know. I've only been alive during my life. But I don't know how you could watch the news and not say that they are demonic forces in our nation. I don't know how you watch the news without drawing that conclusion. I think the devil is at work. I think the devil is at work over time. And I want to suggest to you one of the true bulwarks against satanic invasion are rock-solid and granite-strong Christians. more powerful than you could possibly imagine. They negate the stereotypes. They dispel the lies of the devil and they bring glory and praise to God by the way they live their lives. I would sure like to see a lot more of the good ones lifted up than the bad ones castigated. So it's time for a trail excursion. I promise we won't be gone long, but you've heard that before. (laughs) Paul wrote several letters to churches, and in some of the letters, he expounds on thoughts that he made in other letters. This is such an instance. Galatians 5 has some incredible information to offer us concerning the tangible fruit of our salvation. It was written to Christians in the province of Galatia, Modern Turkey, those of you that are going to go on the pilgrimage with me in uh, September of 2024, we're actually going to be in Galatia. It was written at a time when false teaching was rampant, persecution was hot, and demons were flying about. During Nero's reign, even claiming the name of Christ was increasingly illegal in parts of the Roman Empire, much less spreading the good news. A lot of you are involved in the 500 right now. You're inviting people to church, but you need to understand, you are free to do that in our country. There are many cultures in the world where you would not be free to do that openly. This was that. This chapter is about freedom in Christ and how that freedom is achieved, but for our purpose, it's also about what the fruit of freedom looks like. So let's take a peek at Galatians 5. I'll start with verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So Paul reminds the Galatians that life in Christ is freedom from the bondage of sin, not freedom to sin. Rather than love one another in unholy ways on one hand, or tolerate one another out of guilty duty and obligation on the other, we are free to serve one another out of a pure sense of love and joy. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. One of the most basic things you learn in life is you can't go two directions at once. To quote Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. It's so funny, but the directions to... Our cabin are exactly the same. When you go to our cabin, you go down down a country road, and then you get on a country road, and then you're on a country road yet, and then you're on a rock lane. So that's kind of how you get to our place. But when you get to the... Right before you get on the rock lane, it goes straight, and then there's a loop. There's just a big loop. And there are properties around that loop. When you get to the fork in the road just take it. If you go left, we're about three lanes to the left. If you go right, we're about five lanes to the left. But just take it. But no matter what, you can't go both directions at once. The path of the Holy Spirit leads to holiness and life-giving relationships. Uh, I think the real casualty of our sexually charged society has been friendship. And I think friendship's one of the greatest gifts of God. And I don't want to be crass here, but I think the devil's ruined it in so many ways. So this is about how do we have holy and life-giving relationships. The path of the flesh leads to selfish and destructive gratification. We live in a time when people don't think it matters what you believe as long as you're sincere, and that's absurd. A lot of people believe false things to be true with all of their heart. That doesn't make them right. It makes them stupid. You can go God's way or you can go your own way, but you can't go both. Both. And just because you believe your own way is God's way and you go to a church that convinces you your own way is God's way doesn't mean it's God's way. You can't go both. They're mutually exclusive paths. They share nothing in union. That's for all of those of you that think I only use sports metaphors and never math. So you're welcome. Paul calls the wrong road acts of the flesh, and he calls the right road the fruit of the spirit. And now things are about to get interesting, because guess what he's going to do? He's about to list the acts of the flesh. And when you read some of these, you're going to go, amen. That means you are not tempted by that sin. And then other stuff, you're going to go, oh, crap. And that means that that is a little tougher from you. So you might have an amen, you might have an oh, crap, but this is the list of things. A lot of times people say, I just wish the Bible was clearer. I go, goodness. You know, it's not the unclear parts of the Bible that stress me. It's all the really clear stuff that I have such trouble living up to. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. <sighs> Lord, can you be a little less clear? Can we throw a little ambivalence in there? Yeah, no, nothing. So here we go, 19 through 21. And I'm just going to read these slow. And you say, well, do you really need to get into the Greek to to understand them? Not really. They're just really simple. And the more you get into the Greek, unless you have a political agenda and you're trying to explain to people why it doesn't say what it clearly says, it's just here. So let's take a look at these things. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. So what is sexual immorality? The biblical ethic, I think, is really clear. It trends really clear. The biblical ethic is monogamous marriage, between a man and a woman, and celibacy and singleness. That has been what the church has taught for 2,000 years. That is what 95% of the churches in the world still teach. So sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Impurity would be uh, doing things that aren't great in private Debauchery would be Fat Tuesday at Mardi Gras, all right? Idolatry and witchcraft. Interesting. Idolatry is placing things in our life that we worship as gods that we place above God or that we consider to be gods. So idols aren't just bad things. Idols can also be good things. If you put your family ahead of God, your family becomes an idol. Right? Uh, Idolatry and witchcraft. One of the real concerns I have about our culture today is its utter fascination with the occult, particularly as it is disguised as entertainment. And one of the least surprising things to me in the whole world is that our culture produces the kind of crazy stuff we see in our culture? It doesn't surprise me a bit. If you've got a generation of kids growing up playing unbelievably, realistic and violent virtual games where they're shooting people all the time. And if you've got these shows that are these psychological, occultic things, it surprises you that there's shootings and it surprises you that people are all mixed up and weirded out and can't sleep at night. Goodness, this stuff shouldn't surprise us at all. Not at all. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Well, I really like the people that think like me. Discord. Stir in the pot. Stir in the pot. Same list as witchcraft. Same list as sexual immorality. See, isn't this neat how the Bible's such an equal opportunity agent? It's unbelievably egalitarian, right? You 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 dodge one and three, get you. All right. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions, causing dissension. Factions and envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And the like. (laughs) I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, You want a list of the acts of the flesh. There you go. There you go. Does anybody find anything in there unclear? Uh, It's just there. So what do we do? We have two choices. We could say, forget it, and we could puff up, and we can storm out. That's always your prerogative. And if you do, nobody's going to chase you down. Nobody's going to chase you down. If you drive 100 on your way home because you're mad, somebody might chase you down, but it won't be us. (laughs) Or we can look at these things that aren't in alignment with God in our lives, and we can repent. The one thing I want to say to you is somebody else's sin isn't worse than yours. And the other thing I want to say to you, other people aren't worse sinners than you just because they sin differently than you do. These are not uh, listed in, in categories. It's not like crimes where there's like murder one, murder two, murder three, manslaughter. You know, it's not like that. Sin in the Greek is an archery term. It means to shoot at a target and miss. So we have God's bullseye for each of our life. God has a bullseye for you. And sin is just anything that misses that target. So we're not trying to say that any of this is any worse than anything else. We're just saying this is all stuff that Paul says misses God's bullseye for our lives. So we can repent and turn away, or we can just say forget it. That's our prerogative. The acts of the flesh are the bad stuff that needs to be poured out. So some of you wonder, why can't I tend to really get Jesus poured in And that's because you're you're filled with this kind of stuff. And there's no room. You can't fill something that's already full. So the reality is sinners are welcome in the church or no one would be welcome in the church. All right? I just want to be real clear. Sinners are welcome in the church or nobody would be welcome in the church. I mean, absolutely nobody. But this list of sins are things for which we need to repent and turn away. They're not things we need to affirm and celebrate. So if this is the bad stuff that leads to destruction, what's the good stuff that leads to life? Paul calls these things the fruit of the Spirit. And I would just be really clear. I think God would be pretty cruel if he only told us all the bad stuff and didn't give us good stuff. I think it'd be kind of cruel So this is the bad stuff, okay. What's the good stuff? It's really interesting because this is called the fruit of the Spirit, and it's verses 22 through 24, so let's just go through it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. Joy. Wow. Peace. Forbearance. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are all beautiful, aren't they? They're really beautiful. Let me just pick a couple of them out. Uh, I like forbearance. The, the King James Transat is long-suffering. And it's this just, just hopeful, optimistic kind of patience. It's just, yeah, you've probably disappointed me 3,000 times. But I can't just quite give up on you. Don't you think God has a lot of forbearance toward us? And if he does, shouldn't we have forbearance toward each other? I love goodness, agathos in the Greek. Goodness means to be good in every way. So uh, a good, good food would be something that's absolutely delicious. It's beautiful to look at, and it's great for you. Who doesn't like that? I've never run into it, but who wouldn't like it? <laughs> right? Something as good as broccoli and tastes like a Pop-Tart. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Gentleness. Are you guys aware that uh, a mouse can't be gentle? A mouse can only be meek. In order to be gentle, something has to be capable of doing great harm. A bear can be gentle, a big dog can be gentle. This is knowing we could do harm, but we choose not to. We choose not to. And self control being able to control yourself, being able to master your emotions. It juxtaposes with fits of rage in the bad list. You say, well, aren't we all going to lose it every now and again? I, I would just suggest the more Jesus we have in us, the less we're going to lose it. And the more Jesus we have in us, the more we're going to be loving and joyful. Who doesn't want to be joyful, right? Joyful happiness and joy, completely different. Happiness is predictable response to favorable stimuli i find a hundred dollar bill i'm happy but i won't be happy long because i won't find another one in an hour and at some point i'll spend it and it'll all be gone but joy joy starts on the inside and works its way out happiness begins with favorable circumstances and tries to work its way in joy is perpetual who doesn't want this stuff Don't you wish the people that you loved most had a lot more of this stuff working in their lives? And then he says, against such there is no law. Sharing the faith was against the law. Giving your testimony was against the law. Inviting people to church was against the law. But guess what wasn't against the law? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Those things weren't against the law. And he says, these are ways you can be a witness and it's, there's no law against it. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. This is a really powerful image as we enter Easter. Those of you that have never been to one of our Passion Sunday services, it's unlike anything else we do, but you're going to feel the cross. You're going to feel the cross on Sunday. Those who have crucified the flesh... I was talking to somebody about the old movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Did anybody watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? It's, it's marvelous. It has to be one of the worst movies of all time, and I love it. <laughs> I love everything about it. Well, you know, we talked about witchcraft. At the end, they're, they're trying to kill this witch, right? And they have the witch killed, but the witch just keeps flying back up. You know, it's just kind of like, the witch just kind of keeps coming at you. I find that my flesh is a little like that. You know, you don't just defeat your flesh today for all time. It's, it's a tension to be managed. It's not a problem to be solved. You're going to have to stay on it. And the areas that give you a lot of temptation in your life, you're going to have to stay on those even more. And the places you have addictions in your life, you're going to have to stay on those even more. So Jesus isn't just going to snap you perfect. I'd be all for it. But He will give you the strength to pour out the bad to let him fill you with the good and over time you'll become more and more like Jesus and it says those who have crucified those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires so here's what i want you to hear you might find it hard not to do the right not to do the wrong thing You might find it hard to do the right thing, but as you grow in Christ, you will find it easier to not do the wrong thing, and you will find it easier to do the right thing. It's simple pour out the bad, pour in the good, and it gets easier, not harder. So, these fruits of the Spirit the gospel is good news. Because it calls us from our worst lives to our best lives. It calls us from our worst destiny to our best destiny. And from the bright light of Christ in biblical teaching, we can examine the whole of our lives. Paul wrote to encourage a discouraged church. Why were they discouraged? Because Paul is in a Roman prison awaiting capital trial, and he's never going to get out. But it's precisely because of Paul's persecutions and trials and illnesses and beatings and incarcerations and shipwreck. It's because of all that that he has learned. He has learned to experience God's joy in any and all circumstances. And how can this be? Because he's not only experienced God's saving love, but God has forged in him Godly character. And how he sees the world emanates from everything God has done in him. This is a teaching that comes straight from the word of God. I think as we look at 500 and as we look at inviting people to church, and if you wonder, first of all, I want to thank all of you that are making invitations. You say, well, how's it going? I will tell you this. Compared to Palm Sunday and Passover Sunday of last year, apples to apples, we have had 200 more people live in church every Sunday than we did the previous year. So yes, yes. The win is the invitation, but some folks are coming. And when they come, what are we gonna do? Welcome them. Welcome them. And then we're gonna share Jesus with them. And then we're gonna hope they accept Jesus. Jesus. And then we're going to introduce them to the Bible, and they can make decisions about how they want to live. And the decision's always pretty easy. You can do it your way, and that'll take you one direction. You can do it God's way, and it'll take you quite a different direction entirely. Many of you have spent much of your life doing things your way, and it has ended poorly for you. I want to suggest there is a God. This God loves you. This God has given us a clear way to live our lives. That is given to us in the Bible. And if we will repent of our sin and allow God to pour Jesus into our life, we have nothing, nothing, but good things ahead. You want to turn it all around. Say yes to Jesus. Not just to a little of Jesus, but to all of Jesus.